remember that hat that yeah. I got back from him? Yeah. I don't even know where it is. Oh, wow. That sucks. <laughs> <laughs> that was a really good story. <laughs> this is the meat of the podcast. Wait, have you ever, have you ever caught your... Have you ever caught your profile reflection in the mirror? Yeah. 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 This is She's in Russia. I'm Smith and I'm in Brooklyn. And I'm Lily and I'm in St. Petersburg. So Lily, what are we talking about this week? Oh, I am so glad you asked, Smith. This week, we shall speak about the healthcare system and industry in Russia. To the best of our abilities, so help us God. (laughs) Yeah, so I think the layout of this is just going to be, we'll give a little overview of the history of the health system in Russia, starting like perestroika a little bit earlier in the Soviet Union to modern day, kind of covering what reforms have happened, break down how health insurance is handled in Russia currently. Our dear friend, Izzy, and my current roommate is going to come on and tell us a little anecdote about when she was living in Russia and got sick and had to go to the hospital. And also speak to a real doctor here in Russia, a real Russian doctor who is my friend's father. And he gave his own input on a couple of like key questions about the system, about his own experience. So I'm going to probably put like his answers in at certain points, depending on like where they're relevant. So when we talk about the history, the thing that struck me the most, which I just didn't realize, was that like, so during the Soviet Union, maybe obviously like medicine was socialized socialized fully yeah and it was like apparently really good like in terms of world standards when you talk about healthcare systems you often talk about like life expectancy and apparently like over the course of like the 20th century the life expectancy rate in russia was very much higher than most of the world like the world average overall the world average has kind of done this like arc from mid-century 20th century up and in russia it like was at around 70 years, like average life expectancy around 70 years in mid-century, and then kept that level and then like dips around the 90s and 2000s. And that dip is also like really present in all post-Soviet Eastern European countries. And now it's coming back up and is like around 71, 72. But then the other number I just want to say is that in 1978, pretty mid-Soviet, the Soviet Union was in the 22nd place in terms of the World Health Organization has a listing of whatever, a ranking, a ranking of countries by like quality of healthcare. They rank 22nd and like they are now in the 130th place. So that sucks. Yeah. Other in terms of ranking, just free associating really quickly, the other ranking that is most prevalent and is like cited in a lot of papers that I read was talking about Bloomberg did a ranking of like the efficiency of the healthcare system of like 55 different countries and Russia ranked 55th behind places like Nepal and Bangladesh. Efficiency. Interesting how they measure that. What does that mean? I think it probably has something to do with pairing how much is spent per person and how much they get for that and then like what the actual medical outcome is. So one of the examples they gave to like demonstrate how the Russian system is really inefficient is like small things like after you get your appendix out, you stay in the hospital for 10 days when 
paper claimed and like with pregnancy people give birth and then stay in the hospital for five days whereas in like other countries people can be checked out the day of so just like those sorts of things i've heard like three days after pregnancy but still it's like more than immediate i would really hate that like a i would not like giving birth in a hospital at all but if that were the case like i'd want to go home and be with the baby I don't want to be in a hospital bed for three days after and often they take the baby away from you so you're just like sitting there and you're like you have your like extra stomach just hanging off of you it's oh, horrible it's really it's like horrible. all you want to do is yeah. be cozy and be at home and like have hopefully a yeah. partner who's gonna like bring you things or not and yeah. have your baby bring you things <laughs> 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 or a friend so back to the history I when I asked my friend's father who is a dental surgeon slash what is that called head physician honcho oh head i think the technical term is honcho anyway but it means like he worked as the head of a hospital for many years which means it's like mostly administrative but he's also a dental surgeon and when i asked him about like the changes from the soviet to post-soviet union he answered pretty generally and was just like if there have been changes they've been for the better i was like what They've obviously been changes, always been changes. But, <laughs> but he also said that for him, this transitional period, rather, in general, was a particularly fruitful and like exciting, thriving time for the medical industry because, like, he as a head doctor had a lot of responsibility and like he could make a lot of actual changes, or he at least felt that way. Like, let's give everyone like a basic, sort of obvious thing. It's like, medicine was fully socialized under the Soviet Union. I feel like people are nostalgic about it because what that means is like if you need to go to a doctor, you just go to one and you get care and you don't pay for it. Like you don't even pay for it for in taxes. You know what I mean? Like you just you just are a Soviet citizen receiving care. Yeah, and the like doctors and everything are run the hospitals are run by the state. The doctors are employees of the state. Right. And then you have this transition and obviously like every sector there was this struggle between like what do we do? How do we privatize? And the struggle kind of continues just because like according to the current constitution Every Russian citizen is entitled to free medical care. What that means is not just any free medical care, but it means like free medical care specifically in state-run institutions because there are now very much still like state-run clinics and state hospitals in addition to private clinics that have been appearing over the years. Yeah, as Lily mentioned, after the fall of the Soviet Union, there was this like period of reform, obviously, where things were going from the socialized to like less socialized with potential for privatization, both private hospitals and like private insurance companies, as you would see in other countries like America. And in 1996, this decree was added to the Constitution that everybody has a right to free healthcare. Mm-hmm. Healthcare in like the late 80s and early 90s was very much on the struggle bus. Like one study I read said that in 1989, 20% of hospitals didn't have running hot water. So you can kind of imagine like the state of these hospitals, a lot of them were understaffed, both with doctors and nurses. And since Putin, there's been an effort to put health reforms in place and and part of that has been increasing spending on health care pledging like 10 billion dollars of the budget to the healthcare system over a given amount of time the mortality rates have 
dropped, which is good, obviously. And this free like status of healthcare switching from like the state to a tax that can be both paid by individuals and the company that they're employed by. And this goes into this like obligatory fund that's used to finance free health insurance, particularly amongst like elderly children and people that don't have jobs. And this is because a lot of people that have jobs get a separate type of health insurance through their employer, though not all. I just want to really quickly run through what the structure of this is because it's it's a little confusing. So you can very broadly break up the health system into healthcare system into public insurance and private insurance. Public insurance is this obligatory the thing that's funded by taxes. Yeah, it's funded by taxes, but it's funded from mainly two different sources. One is this obligatory fund, which is a 5.1% tax, I think, right now, that comes from income tax on businesses and individuals. And then another portion of it comes from other taxes that are collected by the government, just like the general federal budget. But the majority of it comes from this obligatory fund. And 81% of insurance and like health care is paid through through this like obligatory type of insurance. And then you have the other type, which is private insurance, which in 2017 was about 19%. And this is made up of three different types of private insurance, voluntary, what's called legal commercial, and shadow commercial. So voluntary is like, as far as I can tell, like kind of the best quality of insurance you can get. And a lot of large companies will pay for their employees to have this. And this is like, you can kind of um, decide what operations and diseases you're willing to treat under this voluntary insurance but basically you have to pay for it separately it's not paid for by taxes and then you have legal commercial which as far as I can tell is like a mini version of voluntary it's like really the basics but it's also paid through privatized insurance and then lastly you have which is called shadow commercial which is basically their estimate of how much people pay out of pocket directly to their health providers in order to get better care or certain tests they need. So this would just be like somebody goes into the clinic and they give the doctor money. So, okay, so in 2017, of the like private insurance, 56, so the majority of it, percent was this legal commercial medicine. So this is sort of like the basic level of insurance you pay for. 20% was the voluntary health insurance. So something you would get through if you worked at like a big fancy corporation. Is this what you get? Do you know? I don't know what mine is considered but i assume that it's the voluntary one the like fancy one i I hope so (laughs) i assume it's fancy and then the last is shadow segment which is 24 percent. so a hefty portion of the private insurance market is made up by people just actually giving money directly to their care providers and one of the things to note is that in recent years there's been a pretty steady increase in these like private public partnerships Mm -hmm. which means that private institutions will be built with federal money. And so it's not fully run by the state. It's not a hospital run by the state, but they do make up a fair share of the number of like obligatory health providers that exist. I think in 2016, it looks like it was 29%. Um, So that should give you like a fair sense of the overall layout of what's going on with like health health insurance and where people get their different providers from. I was reading that this increasing partnership between the private and public, basically government funding for, for private medical institutions is scary because what it means is that as those places are built, more and more places do not qualify for this like guaranteed free healthcare 
guaranteed by the Constitution. Right, because it's like those private institutions aren't actually regulated by the government anymore. They're just like funded by them. Yeah, so government funding's going over. They're like getting siphoned off to them, but then they don't apply, which sucks. Yeah, that is really fucked up. Okay, so where should we go with the conversation from here? Should we go into sort of like on the ground things? Yeah, I want to I wanna like, so like we've laid out how the insurance works, but I kind of want to talk about the ramifications on like the actual quality of the healthcare that's provided. Okay, so one of the things to note about quality right off the bat, and this is one of the things that the doctor I spoke to said, that everyone says, is that there's a really huge range in both quality and like level of tech level of access basically like how long you wait in lines like how long does it take if you need to get like a scan or something how many weeks do you have to wait or whatever there's a huge range across the country and between these types of clinics from the state to there's not just state and private actually it's like state there's private then there's this third level that's like international clinics at least in big cities in St. Petersburg and Moscow for sure that are even more expensive and that are kind of like targeted towards non-Russians. But in any case, within those tiers, there's like a huge range from like really sort of horror stories that you might see or hear about in some, you know, rural regions where, or not rural regions, where things are like dirty or like leaking or there's the hygiene standards are really low or the equipment is really old and outdated or there's not enough staffing and or people come and wait in lines for like hours all day you know what I mean like I think that tends to be more a rural thing the line waiting because there's just not the healthcare providers yeah and then there's also the issue even if you're not waiting in a line that like it's possible if you live in a small town that like a specialist that you need isn't there at all doesn't exist right right I just want to give like paint a little bit of a picture about just like how people approach healthcare because like you have like this sort of complicated variety of options but at the same time sort of simple it's like at least I know that there's this clinic I can go to and I have a right to healthcare, right but Mm -hmm. (laughs) despite that in 2014 32% of adults prefer to not go to the doctor at all and like perform what's called like I mean there's a word in Russian for it, like self-healing <laughs> what's the Russian word samolechenye it's not necessarily a, like a suspicion to medical care as much as for some people it's like I don't see like what's the point these things yeah I don't see the point I don't want to like go through the stress of it. <laughs> there was a quote from a doctor reporting on these things. There was like a big conference and he said something like to use the free medical system in Russia you need to have nerves of steel basically. Oh, and the other thing is then you have this other sort of phenomenon which is people going to clinics but just to get a little document that says that they're sick so that they don't have to go to work. Another study asked a bunch of people about like their habits, what they do when they get sick. 21.5% of the respondents said that they only go to the doctor to get like that document, sick leave clearance. The other big thing to note is that when you are choosing what kind of insurance you want or whatever, it's not as insane as it is in America to not have insurance and to just go to a private clinic and pay for whatever the services you need are. Right, the costs are down. The costs are relatively lower, yeah. Though, I mean, that obviously depends on, like, what your salary is. All right, so just for for reference, the average blood test cost in the U.S. for an uninsured patient is around $1,500, versus in Russia, it's around 300 rubles, which is, like, what, 
six oh my bucks. God. Yeah, or even ten if it wasn't like crisis time. Yeah, and this may this may be like kind of an unfair comparison, like blood tests range in complexity. So who knows like what exactly you're getting for this fifteen hundred dollars in the U.S. versus in Russia? But even according to Wikipedia, blood tests in the U.S. range from one hundred dollars at the lowest to around three thousand for several complex tests. So you can imagine that even if you're getting the like least expensive blood test in the U.S. that's still $94 more than how much it would cost in Russia. I want to run through the like the kind of reforms that happened in the early 2000s and then also we can talk about the reforms that happened in 2014 and kind of introduced like the state of rural medicine. Yeah. So yeah, there's been a set of two reforms since Putin's taken office. The first was in 2001 and part of the reforms in that case were that the Russian government decided that they wanted drugs, equipment, etc. to be made only in Russia. At the time, they were getting like fairly cheap drugs and equipment, high-tech stuff from Germany, I think was one of their main imports. And not all drugs are created in Russia. Like there's a list of ones. That, or equal. <laughs> or equal. <laughs> there's a list of ones that like hospitals and, and clinics and other healthcare providers are required to purchase from Russian companies and then others that aren't. And obviously this has caused like a lot of problems. First of all, it takes a really long time for pharmaceutical like manufacturers to get up and running there were like instances of clinics and hospitals having to trade out their like high-tech equipment for like older russian bot stuff that just isn't as good and then there's like these weird cases where basically there's a gap between personnel and the tech that is being used and so there are a lot of instances of hospitals that have really high tech but that nobody's trained to use and one of the main problems is that there's just been a decrease in the number of doctors that are in medical school and even those that are in medical school upwards of 45 percent in recent years have emigrated Mm -hmm. so you're really losing a lot of like the student body and and one of the things that i read about noted how medical schools in russia sort of function differently than they do in western countries in western countries it tends to be a combination of a research institution a teaching institution and a hospital but in russia the medical school is actually isolated from those other things and so students don't get the same amount of practical experience as they would in an american school nor do they have the ability to your lectures talk about new research those sorts of things that cause this personnel issue and that's since 2000 one and just another thing to know while we're talking about doctors their salaries are really fucking yeah, low that, i was gonna like, say the average is around 300 dollars a month about doctors and salaries that's just another i feel like really important thing to compare with like the profession of being a doctor in russia versus in at least in western countries is that it's not at all like a high paying profession yeah it's not a lucrative nobody would go into it you would have to go into it like purely for some sort of social status or something or if you just truly like helping people. Yeah, like what is that called when you like helping people? Altruistic. Exactly, altruistic. Doctors' salaries have also significantly dropped and when we talk about the reforms in 2014, I that's like one of the moments when that really happened pretty drastically. So let's just compare to the average salary of all professions in Russia. Salaries are calculated monthly. And the average like overall salary in Russia is about 36,000 rubles a month, which is around $600. Doctors at this point, like even though some of the official reports say that they make around 
40000 which would be above the average salary. Most doctors actually, like, come out with somewhere, it can range from, like, two to 300 as you said, dollars a month. That's also, like, a significant drop from, like, a few years ago when it was, like, double that or three times that. Like, salaries have dropped in this, like, really exponential way. And then you also have the crisis, the economic crisis, which is making this number in dollars sound even smaller. It is much smaller. So that just means like that if those people want to travel or something, their money goes a lot less far. Yeah, I mean, I don't understand how anybody, like even if like rents and food and all those like sorts of things you have to pay for as a person are less in Russia, like they're not that much less. Like how much is your rent, for example? What I pay in rent personally for my room and like my part of the rent is more than the salary of a doctor. <laughs> the fact that the salary is the average salary is coming in is lower than the general average salary in the country is pretty crazy already. And the other thing that people will do is to, you know, like compensate a little bit and to have like a more livable wage because that's not a really particularly livable wage. People, doctors and nurses will work crazy overtime hours. They'll work way more than 40 hours a week, but also these sort of like long shifts that could be like several days or something to be able to like have a little extra. It is true, though, that like the cost of living is much lower in other parts of Russia than it is in St. Petersburg and then in Moscow. In Moscow, it's the most expensive. It's like even twice as high as in St. Petersburg. One other thing I want to say about like the economic state starting in like the 2000s and going onward is that this obligatory fund basically like has a lot of deficits. And to remind you, the obligatory fund is the money that comes from a specific kind of tax and is used solely for like insuring people so that they can go and get free health care. There's two problems with this fund. The first is that the amount that they tax is based on estimates of how much a given procedure will cost. And they tend to drastically underestimate how much a procedure will cost. So if you have, for example, a blood test, as we said before, that costs about 300 rubles, but the budget for these obligatory funds estimated at, to be around 73 to 103 rubles. So already you're not like collecting as much money as you should mm. be. And then the second part of it is they're just like simply not collecting enough to cover the cost. So they already don't have enough money in the obligatory fund simply for the amount they've estimated. And then the amount they've estimated is even less than they expect. And the result of it, this is that the, the hospitals and care providers are supposed to make up for this deficit, which means that they end up taking on a lot more patients than they would in order to make up for the deficit. And then you run into this problem with like long queuing and having too many beds in one room and having doctors that are extremely overworked and can't provide quality care. So going into these like 2014 reforms that we're about to talk about, like from 2005 to 2013, health facilities in rural areas fell, just like the number of them fell by 75%. So you're already seeing this like immense decline in rural areas. And that I think is always a problem, healthcare in rural areas. And now seven, I think when I say now, I mean 2015, 17,500 towns and villages throughout Russia have no medical infrastructure whatsoever. So these people are having to like travel a really long way. And I was reading these like really bleak anecdotes about people laying down on train tracks so that the train will stop, commercial trains, like not passenger trains, and take them to the hospital. What? So like really desperate situations. Do you want to talk about the reforms in 2014? The reforms of 2014 were realized as a extreme like budget cut the goal was to 
economize the medical system. How that ended up being realized was by like firing a shit ton of medical professionals, closing down a lot of hospitals, and lowering salaries for medical professionals. Those are the three main like things that happened. I think like 90,000 people were dismissed. So in Moscow, at least, and, and not only in Moscow, actually, a lot of medical professionals and other people protested, like came out on the street and protested these, these quote-unquote reforms. Another example of protest was in Ufa. A group of paramedics went on a 10-day hunger strike where they just drank only water. That was because of, yeah, like mass dismissals and also salary cuts in their region. The point is it wasn't like people took it quietly. Do you want to listen to that recording? Yeah. So we're going to play a clip. It's from like some French news outlet that has an English sub channel. They went to an obelisk called Sverdlovsk. Sverdlovsk. Okay. It's a little bit east of the Moscow-St. Petersburg regions. It's predominantly made up of rural areas, I think, though. Obviously, they do have some cities there. And they, in particular, went to two different cities, I think. And the main one that they were in was Reftinsky. And it has a population of like 16,000 people. So it's definitely small. The clip that we're going to play is them talking to a cardiologist who chose to be anonymous and then playing a little bit of a speech made by, or not a speech, but like a press conference rather, made by people in Putin's administration talking about the state of healthcare in Russia. This so-called optimization entails a reduction of staff, from nurses and their assistants to doctors. When a hospital closes, the resources available to the area's remaining clinic don't increase. Doctors are resigning and looking for work in the private sector because it's impossible to sustain such pressure when you earn only 200 euros a month. This optimization process has arrived at the point where people are no longer being treated. At the start of 2015, the State Audit Office published a damning report. The previous year, 90,000 doctors' positions were cut, 17,000 communities had no medical infrastructure and a million and a half calls to emergency services didn't result in an ambulance being sent out. No official statistics about the damaging results of the health reform have been published since then. Faced with the desperation of patients and medical workers just ahead of parliamentary elections, Vladimir Putin's party has been forced to defend its track record. It would be wrong to say that no mistakes have been made during the optimization process. We recognize this and we've taken it into account. We're talking with our citizens about these problems on the ground, and sometimes after measuring the distance between a closed healthcare center and the closest hospital, we do reopen centers that were initially closed. The governor of the region has called for an audit of the measures taken, many of which were rushed into place to cut growing government debt. But there's little room for error in Russia's rural areas, where locals often already struggle to get access to basic health services. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, you're going to hear a very up-close and personal story about the health system in Russia from our dear friend Izzy.
Today on the show, we have a special guest. So today we asked our dear friend and my roommate, Izzy, to come on the show and tell a little story about the Russian healthcare system from her personal experience. She's my friend. She's Lily's first and oldest friend from childhood. And I'm just some schmuck that lives with her. <laughs> yeah, Izzy and I have been friends since fifth grade, just saying. Sixth grade. Sixth grade? Yeah. <laughs> Sixth grade. Sixth grade. Okay, the point is, Izzy studied in St. Petersburg at the same time as I did. She is going to tell the story of how she ended up in a Russian hospital, right, Iz? Mm -hmm. I think you should start with the faint. Yeah, so I was in Russia and I lived in a host family, as was part of my in a host family. With a host family inside of them. But it actually was just like one, a single mom. Her daughter had been there, but she left to go abroad also. And I lived in like kind of a far away place in St. Petersburg across the river. But I was like very ill and I was spent many hours on the toilet, which was really pleasant with the Russian uh, sewage system. Wait, so you just thought that you had like stomach poisoning or something? Yeah, I, I'd like been, I'd traveled before and like had stomach issues before and where you like are like in the throes of like half sleeping and then being jolted awake by like running to the bathroom which is like a terrible terrible existence but (laughs) I was doing that and then I was literally like in the bathroom on the toilet and I like started feeling really terrible like I don't know if you've ever fainted but it literally is like the closest feeling that I can conjure to like dying okay because you just it that's like basically the point it's like your body gets to such a like state it just like shuts down so did you fall off the toilet yeah I mean I woke up like on the floor of the bathroom with your pants down yeah I think so (laughs) and like I'm pretty sure I don't remember but I then just like got up and was like okay I need to like do something proactive about the situation. And your mom wasn't home? She was home, I think. The reason that I like went to the doctor is because I told her. It was like the middle of the night. Wait, how many days had you been experiencing this stomach pain? Or I don't remember at that point, like one or two. So, so you basically were like, I just fainted to her in some form and she was like okay like and called the hospital or well no she was like very concerned and she was like okay we need to like call the doctor and I also had to like look up how to say fainting in Russian on my phone because I like couldn't I don't know how to say that I looked it up so and showed it to her and she was like oh no and then this like Russian man doctor came with his bag it was like the most cliche old-fashioned like black bag 
And he came to the apartment. Yeah, he came to the apartment. It was really late. And then they were like, the options are... I, I was trying to remember this when you asked me to tell the story. And it was like, you go in an ambulance now or you have to like wait until other... Because the roads close and stuff. It's just like a annoying situation in Russia. Oh, the bridges. The bridges. Yeah, the bridges were, were up. The bridges go up to let boats through during the night like all through the summer and up until november like they're still doing their thing right now every night so like at that time yeah you can't drive it's harder to get places because you have to go all the way around the city wait so but if you're in an ambulance then it's okay no 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 i mean there's obviously a way to go it's just i don't know what they were talking about i don't remember why it was like a timeliness thing because i was like well i kind of want to go to like the hospital the international hospital where like my program told me to go and they were like well you could just go here now in an ambulance and it will be like faster and cheaper and I was like "Uh, okay oh and that's what happened yeah so I went I went to a Russian hospital I don't know do you have any idea of what kind of a hospital it was private or not I don't think it was private because I was in a room with two other women just like in a bed and literally they were I like got there and they like only spoke Russian through my like limited knowledge of Russian was trying to understand all the nurses. So my whole theory at this point was like I had like Jardia or like some kind of waterborne parasite. Oh, you thought that already? Yeah, because I remember they gave me like tap water and I was like, no, don't give me this. Oh. Like this is like what is causing all of this. They put me on an IV, which actually like helped. But you straight up saw it come from the tap? That's crazy. I didn't know. No, I didn't know. They just, but it was just like water that I had no idea. It was just in a glass. Oh, it was probably not tap water, but okay. I feel, I, feel I kind of feel like it was. No, it wasn't. Nobody does that. Okay. Well, I was like in a delirious state of like having, and I was just scared. And these women, I was like trying to talk to them, but they also only spoke Russian. But also I remember they were like, here is where you pee, but you have to poop in this pot. No. And I was like... <laughs> I'm literally here because I have, like, chronic diarrhea. <laughs> you're, you're like... Wait, wait. What was the pee and poop places? What did they look like? The poop place was not, like, a place. It was literally, like, a receptacle. <laughs> Next to your bed? No, like, in another, like, dingy room. <laughs> and then, like, a bucket? St- straight up bucket? Basically, but, like, smaller than a bucket. Like a bedpan. But it wasn't a bedpan. It was, it was like, it was, like, a flower pot. Oh my god. Wait, that's what? Fucked up. And I was just like, oh. <laughs> and I know the word for poop in Russian, so I was like, what? I was like, no. And wait, and was the pee like a normal toilet or was it like a squatting toilet? Yeah, it wasn't that normal. Because I was on an IV, I never had to go to the bathroom. Like cuz the IV just like magically, I don't know why, it was just like this magical force of medicine that helped me. But then I, like, eventually talked to my program person. I guess my host mom had called them. And they were like, we're going to move you to the other hospital. And I also just, like, felt really bad through all of this because I was, like, this bougie American bitch that was, like, by women who are just, like, laying in here. Wait, wait. What were the women sick with? I don't remember. I don't know if I asked. They were really nice, though. They were kind of, like, caring for me in a way that they were, like... Were they older? They weren't that old. They were, like... 30s 40s did they have like curtains between you and them no it was just like a room with beds yeah and they were just kind of like lounging did it seem clean no so then i went to this other hospital medim where like they technically speak english but like really not well this was supposed to be the international hospital yeah a lot of the nurses didn't speak any english and one of them literally like 
totally fucked up my IV and started like putting the IV fluid into my like arm muscle. Oh, I remember that. And I was like, no, 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 no. Like, no. Like it's like really extreme pain. It's just like burning. Yeah. And I was like, no, please. Because at first she was like, I know, I know it hurts. I was like, no, this is not. (laughs) No. (laughs) And she didn't speak any English either. So she just like thought I was being annoying. So they gave me IVs and then, but I kept being like, I have, like, I have something more wrong with me. Like, you can't just, like, not give me medicine. They were just trying to pretend like you were regular. Yeah, they were just, like... Like, dehydrated. Yeah, so then... And so, at one point, they, like, literally sent me home. And I was, like, okay. Because I was feeling better, and I, like, started to eat a little bit. But then I went home, and then I it just, like, fell apart again. And I was, like, no, I have to go back because I'm still extremely ill. And so then, finally, I was, like, you have to give me medicine. So I literally had to, like, recruit all of these, like american doctors to like intervene oh my god this is so crazy i remember this wait when did i come visit you i think you came more importantly more importantly i told my mom that i was telling the story and i was like is there anything you want to add and she was like well i i remember dr Oshpashkov, who was the doctor that was my doctor she literally then sent me his number which is still on her phone oh my god <laughs> a russian doctor yeah he was russian and he also didn't speak very good english so I had to have, like, my American doctor friend, like, talk to our f- other lawyer friend that speaks Russian uh. to him. So basically, like, you told your parents, like, I'm in the hospital, I'm very sick, and they're like, all right, we're going to get the American doctor. Well, I was like, and they're not giving me medicine. Okay. And I'm pretty sure I have Giardia, which I just completely, like, self-diagnosed. When you told them... You had Giardia. They, like, denied they, it. Yeah, right? they were like, no, we don't have that in this country. And I was like, yes, <laughs> you do. <laughs> Every country has it. America has it. My, like, good friend, family friend was like, these are the medicines that she needs. It was just this whole, like, poor cultural interchange where he was thinking that I was being obnoxious. but I And I also felt really bad about it, but I was also like... I fully need medicine, so please give it to me. But Lily graciously visited me (laughs) (laughs) multiple times, and I literally was like, the only thing that I want is a Snickers. Because you must have visited me when I was getting better, because I, like, really wanted the Snickers. I remember calling you, and, like, I was on my way to visit you, and I was like, what, do you want me to bring you anything? Like, assuming the food was bad and stuff in the hospital, and you're like, a Snickers? (laughs) (laughs) Well, because also I remember that I was finally starting to feel better, and I had been, like, refusing food, and then I was like, okay, is there any food? And they they were just like, no. (laughs) They wouldn't feed me, like, in between meal times. Because I, and I was like, but I'm so They're like, you said you didn't want it. And I was like, but I haven't eaten in like actual days. All I've been having is IV fluid and like pooping. Also, okay, here's what I really can't believe. I feel like what, what really should have happened is that you should have had a full native Russian like person from your program with you in the hospital who like interpreted like seriously why did somebody need to call from the states that's like nuts well my program director did come visit me but then it was all this weird like pride thing that was kind of I didn't want to like I actually really liked her too she was like the one teacher person that I kind of had a relationship with wait what do you who felt pride everyone like she even was like <laughs> they know what they're doing and she was kind of like annoyed that i was using my parents 
Because, like, the thing about MedM is that it's what's called an international clinic, so it's supposed to have, like, higher standards and, like, higher tech. And and it was more expensive. Okay, but now I'm curious, like, after you cajoled them into giving you the meds, and did you have to stay in the hospital for a while after? No, I basically became immediately better. I mean, I had to take the, continue taking the medicine at home, but, like... But I mean, because I always started feeling better when I was in the hospital because I was on the IV. But then once, like, the first time when I left... As soon as I was off the IV, I immediately was felt sick again. Did your insurance end up covering what you paid like afterwards or did they accept your insurance or what was the case with that? No, I definitely remember I had to pay out of pocket and I think that there was some kind of reimbursement situation, but I definitely had to just pay. Every time I think of this story and at the time, I just like can't believe that that happened because it's not like that, knock on wood, I haven't had like any kind of health issues especially related to like something like water you know what I mean like some kind of environmental health issue and it just like sucks that you were there for like a month and and like just thinking about like your poor parents and stuff being like my daughter's in Russia that you're like I have Girardi that sucks so bad this is not like really a good picture of Russia but I also had a friend who was walking down literally Nevsky and some man just like started walking towards her and like hit her over the head with a glass like liquor what <laughs> oh my god like actually i thought it i mean she <laughs> like was like shocked and like definitely it was really in pain but like it was funny <laughs> you can like be killed from that right yeah i don't think he hit her like that hard did it not i mean break? it really hurt no thank it didn't god break. oh my god what the fuck this is like Izzy comes on and tells all the like horror stories about being in St. Peter's. I know. That's what I was going to say that, that I overall had like an okay time. <laughs> That's the episode. Thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes. Rate us on iTunes. Also, sign up for our newsletter at she'sinrussia.com and give us a call and ask us a question or just tell us something that you think about Russia at 347-292-7126 and we will see you next week. Stay tuned from the underground. Oh my God, I hate myself. My voice is like like Zoolander, like his look, Blue Steel, that he's always working on. I don't... (laughs) reference that movie to me okay i don't care about it you know what i just i hate when you don't care about things that are important to me